But isn't it good to be together this morning? Come on, it's good to be together. I hope that you are as excited as I am uh, to share the word with you this morning. You know, sometimes I'm sitting and I'm preparing and, I, and God shows me certain things. I see certain things in scripture and I'm like, you know, I can't wait for a Sunday morning to come around. You know, I'm literally counting the, the hours till Sunday morning so that I can get up here and then I share it. And I'm kind of like, you know, when somebody shares something like a good joke or something that they've heard and they're like, huh, huh, come on, isn't this good? Uh, that's kind of how I feel when I prepare my messages. I'm like, come on, this is, this is good stuff. Um, so it's, it's always a privilege for me, and I just absolutely love sharing the gospel. Uh, we're going to go to John chapter number 11 this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please open up to John chapter number 11. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to welcome you once again, and just thank you for being here with us. We we just, it's an honor for us to have you with us. And as a church, we're always saying that we're on a journey together. Uh, this is not a program. It's not a religious thing that you sign up for. Uh, this is not a duty that you do. This is a journey that we're on together to seeing more of Jesus and, and fulfilling what it is that God has, has called us to do in this world and in this life. And so it's just good to have you on the journey with us. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, over the last 12 or 13 weeks, in fact, we've been working through this book uh, pretty much since the beginning of the year. Uh, we've been looking at John, and it has been incredible to see how John reveals Jesus to us through what he writes and, and through the stories that he tells about Jesus' life. And um, over time, you know, as you read an author, you can kind of begin to identify with the author specifically. You can kind of get to know them a little bit. And I feel like I identify with John in several ways, just how John responds to the love of Jesus and, and how he recognizes the, the divinity of Jesus and the sovereignty of Jesus. It's amazing to see. Um, and so I feel like I identify with John in several different ways. But one of the main ways that I identify with John with, and, and if you're a friend of mine, uh, or if you've, if you've known me for a while, you'll know that this is definitely how I am. You can, you can ask Will, ask Nangi, ask anybody who knows me, uh, is that when I get excited about something, I want to just let people know. Like that's just, I, I want to, and it really doesn't matter what it is. If I get excited about a movie I just watched, I mean, Will was with me one day where I told like three different people about a new series that I watched. And I'm like, you got to watch this. I don't care what your plans are. Cancel them. Download the series. Watch it from, I, I need somebody to be on this journey with me because I'm pretty excited about what I've just witnessed. You know, if it's a, a new sport that I've tried out, um, Kelly is very mad at me because I got her husband into golf. I was really sneaky. All I did is I gave him a glove. One Sunday, I was like, hey, but I have this lying around. Here's a glove. He just sent me a photo. He, he texted me a photo this week of his new golf set, golf bag, everything like the family, you know, has been financially ruined. But at least someone's playing golf with me, man. Someone is playing golf with me. And that's that's what I love to do. Uh, when I get excited about something, I want others to be excited about it as well. And that's obviously why I love sharing the gospel, uh, because, because I recognize what Jesus has done in my life. Man, it, it's more than anything else. I am so excited and so passionate about how Jesus delivered me, about how he saved me, about how he worked in my heart. And I just want the same for you. I, want, I just want to go on uh, together. that We can just go on this journey of discovering that more. 
And that's kind of, in that way, John is exactly the same. John is writing the book of John, and he is like, it's like, if you could see John, he would be standing in front of you, kind of not knowing what to do with his hands, tears running down in his face, going, you guys have got to see this. It's the greatest thing ever. You just have to see Jesus the way I saw Jesus. I walked with him. I talked with him. I saw the things he did. I saw the things he, uh, uh, he, he um, manifested through his life. I, I've experienced his love and his goodness, and I just want you to get this. Come on, let's, let's get this. Let me tell you story after story after story after story until you get this. In that way, I'm, I'm quite similar to John as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's in the heart of God for us to know him. He wants us to know him, not religiously, but to know him intimately and to be in a relationship with him. And so picture after picture, John shows us about Jesus. We get here to John chapter number 11. We've looked at so many of those pictures already. Um, and if you've missed any of the messages in the series, they're all available. There's a special playlist on our SoundCloud account. If you just search Anchor Church Joburg on SoundCloud, you'll find our account. There's a special playlist for the Gospel of John, and you can go catch up with, uh, with anything that you missed in the past. But John 11 is jam-packed with some incredible truths about who Jesus is. And I want to just go through some of those things this morning. It's one of those chapters where, uh, you, know, you know, there's just so much to say. I could preach several messages um, just out of this one chapter. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just going to go with, with one stream of thought this morning. I'm going to start in John 11 verse 1. I felt like it was a good place to start. Um, 1, and I'm going to read through to verse 6. So let's read it together. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to, to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he remained where he was two more days. I want to share a message with you today entitled, When Jesus Shows Up Late. When Jesus Shows Up Late. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that we can just be encouraged by your word. Father, that, we can, that, that faith can just rise up in our hearts this morning as we see more of you, that we can just, Father, experience the truth of the gospel and how it sets us free, how it opens our hearts to receiving the love of the Father. Lord, and we just pray this morning that every eye would be opened up, that every heart would be enlightened, and Father, that we would grow into maturity in faith in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that your Spirit is the one speaking this morning, and we pray that you speak to each of us individually in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So one thing that we all hate in life, especially people who, have, uh, who live in Joburg, I, I was born and raised here in Joburg, born in Sandton Clinic, just kind of made my dwelling around these parts all these years, mostly thanks to my parents, um, and, uh, and still here in Joburg. And, and for those of us that have grown up in Joburg, uh, we really dislike being delayed. Come on, we, we don't like being delayed whatsoever. I got caught in a traffic jam the other day. My son was sitting in the back. He started crying because of his hate 
for traffic. He was literally like, I can't do this anymore. I can't sit in this track. I just want to be home. And, uh, and I was like, this is Joburg, boy. We've got to get used to that, you know. And, and that's actually why people in Joburg buy SUVs, even though they never go to the bush. It's so that they can ramp the curb when, uh, when the traffic's too bad. You know, they just like all make a U-turn when they see the cops because they know they haven't uh, paid for their license. That's not me. I'm just saying other people sometimes do that. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we hate being delayed as people in general. If you've ever sat in an airport and heard, you know, the voice come over the intercom saying that the flight has been delayed, or if you've gone to a doctor's room, a waiting room in the middle of winter and uh, rushed to get there only to wait for an hour for your appointment, uh, or if you've ever gone to get a license at the licensing department, right? That is the worst thing. Home affairs and the licensing department is like people would rather have someone pull all their nails out one by one than go stand in that queue. And, uh, and I remember getting there with my wife one day. We went uh, to go and get our licenses renewed and, or her license had expired and we had to go and get a new one. And so uh, we went out there and where you actually do the tests for the licensing, it's upstairs. The queue came out of this door of the room, down the passage. It was a long passage all the way down, down the stairs. It kind of snaked around the lobby and went out the front door, and people were lining up from outside. And this is like 7 in the morning. People are already lining up outside. And I got there, and I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I mean, maybe it, is, it might be um, you know, more pleasant to sit in prison for not having a license than standing in this queue. And so... Um, Here's a great tip. We mentioned some, uh, some of the guys that are pregnant, uh, uh, some of the couples that are pregnant. Here's a great tip for you guys. My wife was pregnant at the time. When your wife is pregnant, vote, do your licensing, go to home affairs, get that passport, because that belly is a one-way ticket to the front, my friend. A one-way ticket. I am seriously looking into one of those pregnancy suits for the next time that I want to go get a license. Because my wife was pregnant at the time. I was just like, how are you going to make this pregnant woman stand in the back of this queue? What has become of us as a society? And they were like, you're right, sir, straight to the front. And I was like marching. I was, sorry, guys. Sorry. She's, uh, you know, right to the front. It was awesome. So if you, if you need to go to the licensing department, um, all you need is a pregnant wife. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so we, we really dislike any form of delay in our lives. And, and many believers have experienced frustration, even frustration with God, when they feel as if God is delayed, when they perceive that He is delayed in coming through for them or in delivering a promise that He had promised them or in bringing them through a hard time or in seeing them through a particular challenge or a, a particularly difficult season. Uh, many of us have experienced frustration with God because we feel as if God's delayed. God isn't showing up at the time that we thought He was going to show up. He's not following our timeline. In fact, in one place in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, it actually says, just so that you know, one day with God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. In other words, whatever your timeline is, don't worry about it, because God has His own timeline. And it can be really, really frustrating, if we're just honest for a moment this morning, in our lives as Christians, when we trust God for certain things and feel as if He's letting us down, feel as if He's not coming through on His promises. This is a reality that many of us as Christians have had to wrestle with. 
And quite often Christians mistakenly arrive at one of two conclusions when God delays. The first conclusion that they come to is that God doesn't care about my situation. This is one of those things where theologically we all know that God cares, right? It's in the Bible. We learned about it in Sunday school. We all believe that it's true. God does care. He's a caring God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. But in your moment of pain, in your moment of of agony, in your moment of desperation, when God doesn't show up as instantly as we expected him to, there's this seed of doubt. There's There's this voice that comes and goes, does God actually care? Was all that stuff I knew, was all that stuff I've, I've prayed about, was all that stuff I learned about in church, was it, was it actually true? Come on, has anybody been there? Well, you just begin to wonder, like, does God actually care? Does he actually see what I'm going through? And why does he continually allow me to walk this thing out if he really cares? So that's the first conclusion that people often come to is that God just doesn't care. And the second thing that people move to and normally it kind of there's a progression they go does God care well he does well then why is he not doing what I need him to do well it must be because of something I've done that's the second conclusion people often come to mistakenly as they go I must be blocking whatever it is that God wants to do I'm not faithful enough I haven't prayed enough I haven't done enough I haven't gone to church I knew I should have been at church Last Sunday, I knew I should have been there. I knew I should have put more effort into worship. I knew I should have, I should have been doing the thing that God was calling to me, me to do. And because I haven't, now there's a blockage and God actually can't come through for me, even though he wants to. Those are two conclusions that, that people arrive at. And this is where John 11 speaks so powerfully into the situation into that frustration. And that's what I love about the Bible. It is such a gritty book. The Bible doesn't shy away from any difficult subject at any point. It just says the truth. It just speaks. And even in this situation, the Bible recognizes that there is frustration for us on this journey many times, and that frustration is actually part of the journey, and it speaks into that situation unashamedly. It shows us the heart of God in the midst of our frustration. It reveals God's heart, which is actually what this whole book is about. I don't know what your opinions are of the Bible. I don't know if you have been a Christian for a long time or if you haven't. But this book is not a book of rules. This book is not a book uh, that uh, some people call it like a a map to life or a a kind of like a, a manual to how to live life. And yes, it has some of that stuff in there. But this is more than anything. It's a declaration of the heart of God for you. And it's a declaration of what God did because of that heart through his son, Jesus. This is there to reveal the father to us, to show us what the gospel is and to bring us to faith so that we may have eternal life. So in this passage that we read here, we see that Jesus's friend Lazarus is sick. And he's really sick. This is not man flu. You know, we, most guys think they're going to die, um, you know, and they'll, they'll tell their sisters, send for Jesus because I'm going. I'm on my way out, you know. Like, you have a cold. Just relax, you know. Um, this, is, this is Lazarus genuinely sick, and even his sisters realize this guy needs help. And so they send word to Jesus, uh, and they say, Jesus, please come because Lazarus, your friend, is sick. And that's essentially like a prayer. It's essentially they're facing a situation beyond their control, beyond their ability, beyond their own, uh, what, what they can resolve in their own strength. And they send word to Jesus going, Jesus, will you come? We need a savior. We need somebody to help us in this moment. This situation is beyond us. And so they appeal to Jesus for help. 
And as we go through this, I'm going to highlight and I'm going to lift out a few little things that we can so easily just rush past in this passage of Scripture that hopefully is going to encourage you today. And one of the first things that I want you to notice here is that the, is what the, the basis of their appeal is to Jesus. What is the basis of their appeal? How are they asking Jesus to come and help? They say, Jesus, we need your help. Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. That's the basis of their appeal. You notice that? They have some genuine spiritual intelligence here. They know what it is to have intimacy with God. These were Jesus' friends. He had hung out in their house. He, they had sat at his feet while he taught. They understood who he was. They recognized him as the Savior. They recognized the gospel. And so when they send word for Jesus, they don't send word for Jesus saying, Hey, Jesus, you know, Lazarus is a really good guy, and he has been serving you faithfully. He's allowed you into his home. He's fed you, and he's clothed you. You know, he's done so much for you, Jesus. So, Jesus, please will you therefore come and heal him. They don't mention any of Lazarus's credentials. They don't even mention Lazarus's love for Jesus. They simply say, Jesus, he whom you love is sick. That's the basis of our prayer. That's the basis of our relationship with God. Not what we've done for him, but what he's done for us. Not our love for him, because our love is, is fallible. It goes up and down. It's like a roller coaster. We base our faith on God's love for us. Jesus, he whom you love is sick. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have disqualified myself from receiving from God because while I'm praying and asking God to do something, I recognize my own unworthiness in that moment and almost resolve my, to myself that this thing can't be mine. I can't really have faith for it because I haven't earned it. If, if, you want to, if, if you want to wrestle and struggle in your relationship with God, that's the way to do it. By basing your prayers, your relationship, your receiving from God on what you've done instead of what Jesus has done. So the very first thing we notice in the scripture is that they appeal to Jesus's love for Lazarus. And when we face realities in life, harsh realities, difficult seasons, difficult times, the last thing that we must do is try and earn an answer from God. That's a one-way ticket to burnout and disillusionment. That's a one-way ticket to cynicism and a hardened heart. We don't appeal to God on that basis. We appeal to Him based on His love, based on His faithfulness. Jesus, we're in trouble, but you're faithful. Jesus, we, we don't have what it takes, but you're committed to us. Jesus, we, we, we can't earn this, but your grace is sufficient. We must shift the focus of our faith. To have gospel-centric, uh, biblical faith, we must shift it from religious faith. You know what religious faith is? Religious faith is believing in what you can do for God. We've got to shift from that, which isn't really faith in God at all. It's faith in our own abilities and focus on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
We've got to believe that He is, is faithful. And when we begin to believe this, what happens is, is that there's a true faith that rise up in, rises up. It's a trust that rises up in our hearts. That's what God wants to inspire in us. It's only when God opened my eyes to the gospel, when I really understood how committed Jesus was to me, that I was able to trust God as boldly as I do now. And I've still got a long way to go. God's still going, you, don't, you haven't even begun trusting me yet. But before, I, I, just, I couldn't get past the first step because it was all about me. And so we appeal to God on the basis of his love. Listen to verse 5 and 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he remained where he was two more days. The first thing that I want to take out of that is that how the Bible reiterates God's love for this family. It says, now Jesus loved this family. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. He cared about them. The Bible constantly wants to let us know, hey, regardless of how God responds to our prayers and in what timing, we must never be in doubt of the fact that He loves us. That's one thing we've got to settle in our hearts. That's got to be our, uh, the deepest level of our self-awareness is that we are loved by God. We've got, to, we've got to settle that for ourselves. But look at what it says. Don't miss this. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that he was sick, he remained two more days. It says so. Jesus loved them, so he delayed. <laughs> we can just read over that. He loved them, and because he loved them, he delayed. He remained two more days. It's because of his love. So when God delays even in answering our prayers, even in coming, bringing the breakthrough that we need, we've got to know that He only ever delays because of love. The only thing that delays God is His love, as we perceive delay. And it says, so, because He loved them, He delayed. He waited two more days. You know why God does that? Because he wants to do something inside of you that's way more expensive and way more life-giving and, and, and going to be so, so much more of a blessing to your life than anything he could instantly deliver on your doorstep. You know that if, if God doesn't take us through seasons where we have to, where we have to work out our faith, where we are, are led to trusting in Jesus more and more and more, we would have a very fickle, childish faith. You know what, what child, I've got three kids. They are constantly asking for stuff. And imagine if as a parent, I just constantly gave them whatever they asked for. I would ruin my kids. I wouldn't be raising kids who would be able to be mature and be able to take on life and be able to, to trust. And they know, they've got to know that beyond anything, even though I sometimes don't give them what they want, they know that I love them. They know that I love them. I did it with my, with my son, Eli. I had him at the driving range the other day. And, uh, and, and he was there was a ball in the bunker and it was time to go. I told him that we would go for a milkshake afterwards. It was getting late. I told him, Eli, leave that ball in the bunker. 
And so he's like, no, no, dad, dad, I just, I just, and I'm like, Eli, listen to me, leave that ball in the bunker. It's time for us to go now. No, dad, I just, but dad, but dad, and he's, he's great. He is a negotiator of note. You know, he will work out a way. So I have to be firm with him sometimes. And I said to him, Eli, if you go and get that ball in the bunker, then we're not going for the milkshake. Then we're going to go home. No, but dad, no, but dad, Eli, I'm saying it again. So I warn him one more time. He goes and he gets the ball. I'm like, boy, we're going home now. So I put him in the car. And he is sad, man. He got home. He told my wife, I should have gone with you. Dad was, dad was horrible. I should have gone wherever you went. Um, he was just so distraught. And in the car, I said to, he said to me, Dad, I'm sad because I'm not going for a milkshake. And I'm saying, I'm sad. I wanted a milkshake, you know. And um, But one thing that my son knows, even though sometimes my actions would sadden him or offend his immaturity, or his disobedience, what he knows is that I love him. And he knows, and I explained that to him. It's kind of what the Bible's doing here. Hey, so God loves them, so he delayed. God loves them because he wants to do something bigger in your life than just give you whatever you want right now. God loves you, so he wants to share something with you that's actually gonna set you free and bless you for many years to come as opposed to just delivering something on your doorstep in a moment. God loves, so sometimes he delays. He loves you, He cares about you. He's doing something on the inside of you. And so sometimes he'll allow you to face certain seasons and go through certain tough seasons so that you can grow in your trust of him. But again, let's not miss something that we read in verse four because it's so easy for us again to just race past this. Because in verse four, it says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So he gives a promise before he delays. He's already said, guys, trust me, this is all going to work out, and then he delays. You see, God never delays without first having delivered a promise. He's already told us. And that's where our faith begins to be stretched, is do we believe in the promise that God gave before the delay came? Do we believe in the promise that God gave us before the delay came? And what that really boils down to is, do you trust that God loves you in spite of how difficult the season might be right now? Are you able to hold fast to the promise that he gave you and by his grace walk through that season? Because he remains faithful. My wife and I had to walk through this journey Many of you know this, but in 2009, my wife and I uh, lost a baby in January and then a set of twins in June and also our ability to have kids. And we tried IVF later that year and then that failed. And so uh, lost three babies, our ability to have kids, uh, a lot of money, uh, a lot of heartache. And at that point, we never knew if we would be able to have kids. So we're, you know, but just before all of that happened, somebody gave us a word. And in that word, they actually said that, that the devil's going to come against you in your life. And this guy turned to my wife and he says, but you will be fruitful. And so that's, at that time, just we were able to just go, and this is what we learned. This, is, this wasn't just like, oh, that's it. Let's do this. It was a, a journey. It was a process. We felt a lot of heartache, a lot of frustration, a lot of this angst and this you know, uh, anger even with God. And, and through that, God said, I gave the promise do you trust me? I'm faithful. Yes, I'm delaying. 
you having kids. But it's because I'm doing something in your life. And I got to tell you that it was through that season that my, my theology failed me. My strength failed me. I recognized my own frailty. Whereas before I was very self-righteous. I recognized that there's nothing in me that I can claim as good. And I stood before God and, and we got to a point where we just said, okay, God, we trust you. Even if we never have kids, we trust you. We believe that you are good and that you're doing something in us that we may not understand right now, but it's, it's, it's going to be for our benefit and for the benefit of those that you would bless through our lives. And it's in that season that for the first time, God opened my eyes to genuinely see the gospel. Genuinely see the gospel and what it is that Jesus had done for me. And it's still, it's become such a part of who I am. That's what I'm preaching. If you've been part of Anchor for a while, you'll know that I'm constantly encouraging people to take their eyes off of themselves and put it on Jesus. Because there was something that God did in me. And, and part of that word that somebody gave us before, they actually said the same measure of comfort that you receive in this season, in the future, you will comfort others also. You see, sometimes what God is doing in your life is not just for you. It's for how he is choosing to work through you to bless others again. And so it's a joy for me like this morning when we can say, hey, we've been praying for couples to receive kids and here they are, they're pregnant. God is doing what he had destined to do because he loves us and because he loves all of us. And so we had to walk that journey of learning to trust in God. I found this incredible scripture in Hebrews 6, verse 11. It says, verses 11 and 12. And it says, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. We want you to be earnest in knowing this full assurance of hope, full of faith, until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises through faith and patience inherit the promises you see part of faith what comes out of true faith is also patience how do we inherit the promises is it just a snap your fingers here it is sometimes there's a process of faith and patience and God works that maturity. You know, to be patient is, is a part of becoming mature, where you can actually wait for things and, and delay your own gratification and say, okay, I'll, I'll hold on for this. That's, that's, that's what happens when you become more mature. The scripture says that we want you to be full of hope. You know the promise. You know God's love. You know what he's done for you. You know how he feels about you. You know how committed he is to you. So therefore now, through faith and patience, you inherit his promises. Another thing that I notice in that scripture is it doesn't say through faith and patience, you earn the, the promises. Through faith and patience, you achieve the promises. Through faith and patience, you draw the promises out of the heavenly cloud of glory and bring it down into your lap. It says you inherit. This is your inheritance. It's your birthright. The promises of God are not something that you need to achieve or earn in your own strength. They are yours because you're in Christ. The Bible says that in Him, in Christ, 
all the promises of God are yes and amen. It even says, and I love how, how Paul writes this, he goes, they're not yes and no. He says that in Scripture. The promises are not yes and no. In Christ, it's not a yes sometimes, no other times. All of his promises are for us in Jesus' name. If he has given a promise, it is ours. It's our inheritance as children of God, and we receive it through faith and patience. Trusting God to do what he wants to do in our lives. My question to you this morning is, do you trust what God is doing in you while you wait? Because waiting time is not wasting time. The time that you spend waiting on God is not a waste. It's deepening your relationship with Him, which is a greater blessing than anything that you could receive from His hand. I believe that through these moments, through these seasons, these difficult times, God is actually preparing us to walk in the fullness of our inheritance. You know, I have an, I'll have hopefully one day an inheritance for my son or my sons. But I wouldn't give it to them now. I wouldn't give it to them right now because they're not ready to walk in the fullness of their inheritance. But as God works in us, the destiny that God has for you, the plans that he has for you, the good things that he's prepared for you beforehand for you to walk in. They are already yours, but God releases them into our lives in the perfect time. None of us are walking in the fullness yet of what God has for our lives. That's why the best days are yet to come. That's why we continually look forward to what God is gonna do in and through us tomorrow because we know that there is still a fuller measure of our inheritance that we're gonna walk in. So let's enjoy the season. Let's rest in our difficulties. Let's trust God right now, knowing that he loves us. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so he delayed two days. Ultimately, when God does what he wants to do in our lives, it'll bring glory to him. I'm just going to go back to that verse in, in John chapter number 11 and verse 14. Just skipping forward a bit. I'm skipping a little bit out of here and there, but, but I, I just love this. This is so good. John eleven fourteen. 14. Uh, it says, so Jesus told them plainly, talking to his disciples now, Lazarus has died. They were, they were stuck in a bit of confusion there. They were like, he first said to them, hey, Lazarus is asleep. They're all like, that's great. That means he's getting better. He's like, no, guys, you, you don't get it. When I say he's asleep, I'm actually saying he, he's died. Um, and so it says in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. <laughs> Can you, I mean, Jesus, you've been, you've been in the sun too long. I mean, this, this you know, Middle Eastern heat is taking its toll on, on what you're saying right now because Jesus is outright going, yep, guys, Lazarus is dead now. I delayed, he's dead, but I'm glad, so let's go. And they must be, and I love Thomas's response in the next verse. I think if Thomas was alive today, he would be like a late night talk show host because he has that perfect blend of sarcasm and cynicism that just goes so well with late night talk shows, you know. Uh, and so Jesus goes, hey, I'm glad that, that Lazarus is dead, so let's go. Thomas turns around, Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> That's just like... Okay, Jesus, let's all go and we'll all die. You know, uh, he's just, 
He just doesn't get this. And you know what's the craziest thing? That this kind of like throwaway line of a little bit of cynicism from Thomas, it gets recorded in Scripture. It actually gets written down in Scripture. You know why? Because God is saying, I know that you're going to experience the frustration. I know that my timing is not always going to make sense to you. I know that you're not always going to feel great about this and that you yourself are going to be tempted to be cynical and to be hard-hearted and, and, and to be angry about what I am doing. And I know that you're not always going to get it, but just so that you know, just to encourage you, you're not the first person to feel that way. Right there, Thomas, he was feeling it. You see how the Bible doesn't shy away from issues? It actually records that. If I was writing the Bible and I wanted to put this perfect picture together, I wouldn't even include that because that's a guy who just doesn't get it. But Scripture speaks and it knows. God knows the frustrations that we experience. He knows that sometimes we're disappointed. He knows that we're going to be tempted to become cynical. And he goes, I want you, I know it. I know that's how you feel, but I want you to learn to trust me. So Jesus arrives Four days late at the tomb of Lazarus. Four days late. Like the first time my wife and I tried to get out of the house when we had twins and uh, our, our baby boy, Eli, he was two and we had twin newborns. 47 minutes the first time. We just wanted to go to Puppuccino's. 47 minutes just to get out the house. We, we haven't broken that record since. Um, that was still the best that ever went. Um, it's, just, it's just hard. But that's nothing compared to being four days late. Jesus arrives four days late, and what's so significant about that is that the, the, the Jewish people believe that if somebody had been dead for more than three days, essentially your spirit would still be with your body for three days, but after the third day, that essentially your spirit has departed and you're dead. Your spirit isn't even there to be raised again. You're, you're gone. And so Jesus arrives four days late. John 11 verse 21 He's, he's coming up to the place where, where Lazarus is buried. And, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The first thing that Martha says is, even now. Four days later, my brother is dead. But even now, I hold on to the promise. Even now, I know that if you say it, if you speak it, if you ask the Father in heaven, I know that you'll come through. Even now. Even now. You know, there's some times where we think God can do it now. Maybe God can do it now. Maybe yeah, there's still time for God to do it. And then we're like, okay, God, you missed your opportunity. But God goes, I'm not bound by your time frames. Even now, I could do it. Even now, whatever it is that you need, I can do it. And what Jesus then does in that moment, Martha holds to the promise. But in that moment, Jesus uses that scenario to declare a greater truth about himself. And there it is. There it is. That's what he was doing all along. 
That's what this whole thing was about. He wasn't just going to go there to do a miracle. He wanted people to see more of who he was. He wanted to declare a greater truth about who he is. And that's what God does. That's what his love causes him to do in our lives is that when he delays, when we go through the frustration, when we wrestle with the realities of our own theology, when we face those things, Jesus often comes and declares something about himself. In other words, we see Jesus in greater detail through these types of situations. And when my wife and I got to a place, people ask us now, if you could go back and choose to have the babies that we lost not be lost, and if you could choose to not go through that difficult time, uh, would you choose that? I would say never in a million years. I would have my journey exactly the same. You know why? It revealed more of Jesus to me. I wouldn't be able to, to preach the word I preach today if it wasn't for what Jesus revealed to me through that season. That's the blessing. How God reveals Jesus. And Jesus makes another one of these I am statements where he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. Through Jesus, we have eternal life. Even though our bodies may die, even though we may perish, we will never taste death. Jesus has overcome the enemy called death. Death in scripture is written about as an enemy. And we have victory over that enemy. We live forever in Christ. And the Bible says that when Jesus returns, there's a resurrection of the body. Jesus spoke about this often. We will be resurrected again. We will, we will meet him in the sky. We will, we will be with Jesus eternally. There is a resurrection in the final days. And, and so even though he delays, his promise remains true. What we recognize right here, right now, is that this whole setup is a prophetic utterance about the return of Jesus. That this is more than just God will show up in your situation right now and, uh, and, and, and do what, what you're, you're holding out for and do what you're trusting Him for. This is saying that even though God may delay in His return, the second coming of Jesus, that the promise remains sure. That the resurrection of the saints remains true. Second Peter 3, 9 and 10. I'm almost done this morning. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. You see, there's a promise of Jesus' return, where He will return and, and we will be resurrected and, and we will be moved into heaven eternally. But he's not slow, but he's patient because he loves. He loves and so he delays. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Literally, the promise of Jesus' return, we might look at it, and the, the verse just before this says, people are mocking already. They're going, oh, you know, you guys keep saying Jesus is going to come. Where, you know, where, where is he? Why hasn't he returned yet? Why hasn't he, why hasn't he come as he promised? He goes, hey, God's not slow regarding that promise. He just loves, and so he delays. He's just waiting, but he will return. And in that day, that sky will be torn open. And God will come in power and the, the heavenly bodies will melt like wax before him. The mountains, the Bible says, will melt like wax. 
He's not slow. He's patient. He loves, and that's why he waits. And he will show up just like he showed up on the day of Lazarus. And in the day that he shows up, the resurrection will occur. On the day that he shows up, the dead will be raised. So there's this beautiful passage. I'm going to end on this, but there's this beautiful passage where Jesus walks a little bit closer to the tomb of Lazarus and Mary comes running out with some of her friends and they're weeping. Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that he's the resurrection of the life, but the Bible says that Jesus was greatly moved and then the shortest verse in all of scripture says Jesus wept. Isn't that incredible? How much he loves. Even though he knows that he is ultimately going to resolve all things and restore all things and do everything he promised, even though he can already see how he's going to bless you in the future, that doesn't mean that the pain that you're feeling right now goes unnoticed. It doesn't mean that your frustration right now, he doesn't care about. Even though he knows he's already provided the solution, he weeps with Mary. Look, if I was there and I was there to raise the dead and I knew it was going to work and people are crying, I'd be like, stop your crying. Stand back, everybody. Let me show you something. Jesus doesn't. He weeps with them. He is brokenhearted about our broken hearts. That's the Father that we serve. So John eleven thirty eight says, Then Jesus deeply moved again, deeply moved, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Jesus kind of like, he's praying for show here. He just wants them to know that Jesus is asking the Father. He wants them to know the source of the miracle. So he goes, I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. I love the similarity between this cave with a stone that was laid against the stone, uh, against the cave, and the tomb of Jesus that had a stone that was rolled in front of that tomb. What I recognized in this moment is that even as Jesus defeated death, when the stone was rolled away from his tomb, this again, a prophetic utterance of what Jesus would do for all of us as he rolls away the stone. You know, the Bible says that our hearts are like stone. The Bible says God will remove your heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that knows him, a heart that can have intimacy with him. Our hearts are like those tombs. And Jesus steps up to our dead hearts, our stone cold hearts, and he he tells them, roll away the stone. You know what we sometimes say? Hey, God, there's a stench in there, man. I just don't know if I want to open up what's happening in here to you. I don't know if I can reveal this to you. I don't know if, 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 if it's okay. And Jesus is not afraid of our stench. He's not afraid of the death that we dwell in. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see my glory? He says, take that stone away. They take it away and he calls forth life from within our hearts. 
he calls forth life from within us. And Lazarus kind of staggers forward and he's still wrapped in the grave clothes that they wrapped him in. I mean, he, he's just, you can imagine literally like a mummy coming forth uh, out of this tomb and he can't see where he's going. He can't run. He can't, you know, he can't be excited. He can't see anything. And Jesus makes a command. He says, unbind him and let him go. You see, that is what God does in our lives. Not only does he bring us into new life, but he unravels us. He unbinds us from the residue of death, from the remains of death, from the grave clothes. And that's the process of sanctification. That's why he delays. Because he's unbinding you. He is taking away the things that still hold you back from serving him. There's a process of unbinding whereby God delivers us from every form of death and faithlessness in our lives. And that's why he, he sees this process out. That's what Jesus is doing while we wait. He's unbinding us from the grave clothes of death. So we can live a life with a full assurance of hope, full of faith, trusting that our Father is doing something miraculous in our hearts and lives. Isn't that incredible? Come on, I don't, I don't want to just be reborn. I don't want to just kind of come out of the grave. I, I want to be deli delivered from every form of death in my life. I want to be unbound from the things that hold me back from serving God. And he's going to do it. But sometimes he does it best through a difficult season. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is whatever season you're in, whatever season you're going through, whatever season you may go through in the future, just keep trusting in the love of God and in the promises that he gave you because it's your inheritance. Amen? Let's pray together.